0: Praise the Lord. Welcome to the Sunday message, Sunday the 19th of March, 2023. Let's just first go to the Word of God. We want to look at something quite interesting this morning. Genesis 3, and I'm going to be reading from verse 6. Genesis 3 from 6 to 10. We all know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and original sin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sowed fig trees together and made themselves coverings. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then the woman blames the snake. We all know the story. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it this morning. Help us, Lord, to be blessed by your Spirit as our minds are educated in the things of God. We thank you for your love for every one of us. Thank you that no weapon of the enemy can prosper against us and this word will achieve that for which it was sent for all those within the sound of my voice and beyond. In your mighty name. Amen. Now the point I want to make from the story, although there's such a lot we could learn from it, is this. It's quite interesting to note that the Lord asks a question. And when you look at it carefully, you'll see how often God in his dealings with men, with mankind, asks them questions. Now, in this particular instance, he asks them, where are you in the Garden of Eden? Now, let's ask the question, did God know where they were? Well, if he was God, of course he knew. He knew exactly where they were. The point is then, why does he ask? Very often God asks people questions and so often he knows exactly what the answer is. So why does he ask? That's the question I want us to discuss. The title of this message is Asking Questions. In our fellowship, I encourage people to ask questions. I think it creates an environment of learning and growth. And you might say, well... Do you think you're so clever that you can answer everybody's questions? Well the answer is obviously not. I think sometimes people, in general, men of God, in particular, parents as well, teachers too, are scared of questions for the very reason that they might appear foolish if they don't know the answer. Well, you see, the truth is nobody knows everything. And of course, there are so many questions to be asked. So why encourage questions if You might not know the answer. Well, you see, there's something to be learnt. That's what this lesson is about. Very often, the Lord throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament asks people a question. And we're going to look at a few instances and the big question we are going to be asking is this. Why? Why does he ask questions? We look at this case. God knew exactly where they were, but he asked Adam and Eve, where are you? And in answering that question, the whole explanation comes forward. But that's not the only instance. There are hundreds of others. I'm just going to pick on a few. You all might remember the story of Elijah. Elijah spent three and a half years by the book Cherith, preparing for the great ministry to which God had called him the calling back of Israel to their God. You all might remember the showdown on Mount Carmel, where the prophets of Baal tried to bring fire down, nothing happened. Elijah laughed at them, then he set up his altar, his sacrifice, and fire came down. In the power of that moment, Elijah called up all the prophets of Baal and slaughtered them. But then, the story goes on, as we know, Jezebel, the queen, gets to hear about this great slaughter of her prophets and she sends a message to Elijah saying, by this time, tomorrow, you'll be like the prophets of Baal. In other words, she threatened him with his life. She was furious. Now here, this great man of God, this prophet that had called down fire from heaven, literally, that had slaughtered single-handedly these 400-odd prophets at the threat of a woman, gets the fear of Almighty in him and starts to run. And he runs for miles. It's a whole story. The angels feed him on the way. But he eventually ends up in a cave. The cave of God, you see. Having run for many, many more kilometers than a man can naturally run. Supernatural strength. Anyway, he's in this cave. He has a big pity party. And the voice of God comes to him. And the voice of God asks a question. And the question very simply is, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, once again, did God know what was happening? Of course God knew exactly what had happened. He'd been in on it from the word go. But still, in the cave, he found it necessary to press Elijah with a question. What are you doing here? We could see the same thing when we read about Gideon. Here Gideon is in the wine press, threshing wheat. You don't normally thresh wheat in a wine press, obviously. And while he's busy doing this, an angel comes and says to him, Gideon, mighty man of valor, what are you doing here? Same question almost. Now, do you think God didn't know why Gideon was there? For fear of the Midianites, etc.? Of course he knew. He knew exactly why he was there. But why did God ask this question? Why did he have to get an answer out of Gideon and Elijah? Well, this trend carries on. You look at the book of Psalms. Very often the Psalms pose a question. For example, Psalm 11 verse 3. We go through this in the foundation course. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, the psalmist asks this question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Once again, and as we say, it's a rhetorical question. Because the answer is in the question. You see? So if the answer is in the question, why ask the question? Can you see? It begs the question, why ask the question? Well, you see, obviously the answer to that question is if the foundations are destroyed, even if you are righteous, there's nothing you can do. Our job is to establish strong foundations, which we try to do. But why does the Bible, in a sense, ask, and God, by our inference, ask obvious questions? You see, there's a reason behind it. And the question we need to ask is why? look at the life of the Lord Yeshua. He did exactly the same thing on more than one occasion. I think of the widow of Nain. He comes to the bier of this son of hers that's about to be buried and what does he first do? He asks her a question. Why are you weeping? Now, surely to goodness, if you come across a widow. Or a woman by a beer weeping, the reason she's weeping is pretty obvious. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but yet the Lord had to ask her, "Why are you weeping? What's his reason behind it? Is He just making small talk? Well, there's one thing about God when you read His Bible that you now have to understand: Nothing isn't in the Word of God by mistake or because it's irrelevant. Everything is really important, and we need to ask ourselves, as I said, the question why. The Lord also asked blind Bartimaeus, if you may recall. I mean, the man's blind. He's always been blind. He cries out for the healer to have mercy on him, and he comes to the healer. And you and I would obviously think, well, the reason he's come is pretty obvious. Why does he want mercy? The blind man wants to see. Common sense. But why does the Lord not just reach out and heal him anyway? He finds it necessary to ask him, Bartimaeus, what is it that you want? Once again, why? Why? Well, Bartimaeus was really quick on the uptake and he said, I want to see, no doubt in his mind. And the Lord said, your faith has made you whole. The man got his sight back. But there are two other instances of the Lord's operating when he walked this earth that are very significant in that he asks questions, all right? And we're looking at this just to see that it's common for him to ask questions. And in looking at these instances, ask ourselves the question, why? What is his thinking behind it? It's a great teaching technique I've discovered, and I often use it when I'm trying to teach or preach, ask questions. And I'm beginning to realize more and more the reason why. But let's just go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 and from verse 13. Matthew 16, from verse 13. When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, note he asked, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Lord goes on to say that he's blessed because of this revelation. Can you see that? He asked his disciples, who does everybody else think I am? They give him the answer, and then he gets very pointed. He says to them, who do you say that I am? Now, obviously the Lord wasn't asking them that question for his own sake. He knew very well who he was, no doubt in his mind. But why did he find it necessary to ask his disciples, even though on more than one occasion they had said, We believe in you. You are the Son of God. All the same, he found it necessary to press them for an answer. Why? The classic example, of course, is in the final book of the Gospel of John. Let's just go there quickly. You all know John chapter 21. That's where we're going. And I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but the background is, as you know, the Lord has been crucified. And had gone up to heaven, and the disciples were left in a sense at a loose end. They didn't know what to do now. It looked as though, in the natural, that everything that, that they'd invested in over the last few years had just fizzled up. And so Simon Peter said to his friends, "I'm going fishing." They gave up basically. "I'm going fishing." That was two. Then they said to him, "We are going with you also." You see, now they go to the boat and they try to fish, and all night they Quite a similar situation to what happened right at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. We know the story. Anyway, when they are finished, they see this man on the shore. They didn't know who he was. And he says to them, Children, have you any food? So they answer him, No, we don't. We've fished all night, etc. Then he says to them, and right then they must have thought, Hey, this sounds familiar. Because he says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And we know the story. They cast, and then there's a whole massive catch. And then they realize who it is. Peter, being Peter, strips down, jumps into the water, because he realizes that it's the Lord. And he can think of nothing other than just impulsively to get to him. But I think once he gets to him and gets the preliminaries over, it's almost like a reality check kicks in. If you recall, the last encounter that Peter had had with the Lord Yeshua was on the night that he was betrayed. And as you might recall, on that occasion, the Lord said to him, because he said, being Peter once again, no one will touch you, I will protect you, blah, blah, blah. And the Lord said to him, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the cock has crowed. That's what he said to him. Lo and behold, you know that's what happened. But anyway, they're sitting around having breakfast. And once again, the Lord being the Lord, asks questions. And this is the question that he poses to Simon. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter impulsively, I suppose, says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tries to get on feeding. The Lord tells him, feed my lambs. But then, you see, the Lord goes on, and he said to him a second time, Now, the point I'm trying to get you is that the Lord knew the answer intellectually. That's not the issue. The facts are not the issue. There's something more to it, and it hinges on this whole question of why does he ask, insisting on an answer. So he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? I can just see Peter stopping and thinking, Maybe it's because I denied him. Then he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he says to him, tend my sheep. But you see, the Lord's not happy to leave it at that. He goes to a third time. He said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now at this stage, Peter's, the Bible says, grieved, upset. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then the Lord goes on to tell him to feed my sheep and explaining what sort of future Peter had. But once again, you see, the question is, why does he ask these questions? Why does he press people for an answer? Well, obviously, it's not really for his benefit. As I've said, the Lord knows exactly where people are at. He knew Peter's heart better than Peter would have ever have known it. So, the conclusion we must come to is that when he asks people questions throughout the Bible, and by extension when he asks us questions, what's the thinking? It must be somehow for our benefit. It must be for our benefit, not his. Obviously, If it's for our benefit, ultimately it's also for his. But you see, why does he require of us so often to give a definitive answer? And I think the answer lies in that word definitive. You see, human nature is very capable of being vague. As I've said so often, the devil's stock in trade is to keep your and my thinking vague. If our thinking is vague, we are at a disadvantage and the enemy has an advantage. He's able to manipulate us. He's able to get in through the cracks and he's able to influence us. You see, and God doesn't work on that basis. God demands that you and I have clear thinking. And that we have understanding. You see? And the value of asking questions is that, in a sense, it puts us on the spot. You see? What did the Lord do to Adam and Eve? He put them on the spot. Where are you? Before that, they just thought, we better get away from him. You see? Vague thinking. Vague thinking that God will punish us and we're in trouble. Can you see? And that's the devil's trick. To separate us from God. What does God want? He wants us to think about these things and find out the truth, what he thinks about it. We can only do that when we are prepared to ask questions, especially questions of ourselves. And as a result, because we as humans love to, in a sense, hide in the cracks, we'd rather keep things vague. Because you see, the moment you and I are no longer vague, and we have clear thinking, we have to take responsibility. And human nature, the fallen nature, doesn't really want to take responsibility. We want to run away, like Adam and Eve, you see. And so the Lord very often puts people on the spot. I know that he put me on the spot. And I realize that it's his will to put people on the spot, especially about important things. You see, for example, the Lord pitches up and he asks people, what are you doing here? He knew exactly why Elijah was there. But Elijah himself had to think to himself, yes, what am I doing here? I am the mighty prophet of God after all. What am I doing here running away from this woman? God had to get hold of Gideon and say, what are you doing here? Gideon has to come to the place where he realized, you know what? I'm running away. God needs somebody to stand up and fight. You see, God likes to put us on the spot for our own benefit. Otherwise, we can end up doing what, in American terminology, they call nickel and dime our lives away. Do you know what that means? To nickel and dime our lives away? Nickels and dimes are the smallest denomination of American currency, you see. And nickling and diming our lives away means spending our lives doing frivolous things here, there, everywhere. And not getting down to the real issues of life. And God's interested in that. You and I facing up to the issues of life. We need to ask ourselves, why am I here? We need to ask ourselves, what does God want me to do? We need to ask ourselves, am I doing what God wants me to do? Can you see that? And if we don't ask ourselves that question, we can end up wasting our lives, as so many people have. These questions are important. So you see, it's God's nature to ask probing questions. i found people don't like it, but I believe God wants us to ask those questions anyway. But there's more to it than that. I've begun to realize something else. There's another reason why God asks us questions to start with, but also wants to provoke us in return to ask questions. A very good example of this is found in the Gospel of John. Now, just for a bit of background, please understand the person who wrote the Gospel of John did so much later than all the other gospels, and the writer makes it very clear that this gospel has been written to help people to believe, to promote their faith. The other thing about the gospel is that the writer is extremely selective. There are many things he says that happened in the life of Christ it would fall. More books than there are in the world that was the statement about it but he chose certain issues and obviously behind every issue there was a reason all right now we come to the gospel of john chapter 16 in particular and you'll see something that at first might seem to be irrelevant ridiculous actually foolish and yet the writer the gospel writer made sure it was there Once again, the question, what is it that he's trying to teach us? Alright? Anyway, here in this Gospel of John, chapter 16, the Lord says in verse 16, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Now he's speaking to his disciples and they say to themselves, what is this that he says to us? All right? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. And then they come to the conclusion, we do not know what he is saying. Now, the Lord is standing on the sidelines and he's watching this lot. And you can see a faint smile on his face. You see, he set them up. He deliberately spoke in riddles. Not something new for them, by the way. At one stage, he said to them, you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood. That statement caused so much confusion, chased half of the disciples away. They didn't understand it, you see. But he's watching them discuss this. And then he says, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said. Once again, he asks a question, the answer of which he's very well aware. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will not see me. Then he goes on to give them a profound teaching about basically the persecution that they're going to face. All right? Now, why? Why not just tell him about it in the first place? Why go through this whole rigmarole. You see? And I've begun to understand something. You see, in teaching, there's what is referred to as spoon-feeding. And any qualified teacher, any experienced teacher, will know that spoon-feeding is the worst kind of teaching that there is. What do we mean by Spoon feeding. Simply telling the people what the answers are, you see. Just telling them. I taught history for a while. And spoon feeding would be to say, oh, well, in 1962 this happened, in 1983 this happened, and blah, 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 go on and on. Give them all the facts and expect them to digest it, you see. But as we all know, that kind of teaching and learning as it were by rote is pretty useless. All it does is possibly develop our ability to remember and also our ability to study discipline. But further than that, there's no value in it. And you see, we see that exact same principle operating with the Lord. Very often, you see, he'd send out a riddle. He'd speak in riddles. Because later on, after he's explained this to them, the disciples said to him, Now we understand, because you are not speaking in riddles, you are speaking plainly. All right, and obviously there's a hint of frustration there because they're basically saying, Why aren't you just speak plainly in the first place? Why go through all of this? Why did John the Gospel writer bother to put this all in? Well, here's the great lesson, you see. And the truth of it is this. When you and I approach Information, from the paradigm of needing a question answered, it does something inside of us. When we appropriate information in response to a question that we have, that information becomes ours. It has a deeper impact on us. The Lord, in this instance, was warning his disciples about the persecution that they were going to face. He was talking to them about the fact, and this he had talked to them about before, and it had made no impression on them at all. It passed them completely by. But you see, in chapter 16 now, the time is coming. And he had to impact them with the understanding that because of the world system, he would be killed. He would have to leave. But then he would come back in a little while. And he wanted to impress them with that, because in the great call that was on their lives, they would have to confront exactly the same circumstances. Can you see? And years later, I can you imagine facing persecution, Those disciples would have recalled, you know, we didn't understand then, but now we do, you see. And that's the nature of the Lord. He doesn't want to just impart information to us. That's why the Bible very often is written, in a sense, in riddles. That's why the Lord spoke in parables, very often. He didn't just tell everybody, oh, well, this is the story and this is what happens if you run away from your father, blah, blah, blah. You see, he didn't just speak in black and white. He spoke, in a sense, in parables, in riddles sometimes. The Bible is filled with riddles, did you know that? Very often, as I say so often, you and I read the Bible and a question is posed in our minds. The point is not to run away from the question. Not to think, oh, well, maybe God can't answer it. How foolish can you get? But still, you see, we need to have this inquiring mind when we approach the things of God. That is what God wants us to have. Because very often the answers aren't obvious. And we need to dig for them. But you and I won't dig if we're just looking to get information. You and I can go to hell with an overload of information. Did you know that? Straight to hell, with an overload of information. We know so much, and yet we know nothing. Because what we know is not part of us. How do we make it part of us? Only when we ask questions. When we seek information, because we have this incurable desire to know. Which is what caused Eve, in a sense, to eat the apple in the first place. I don't think she was just a glutton or greedy do you understand? We need to ask questions. Now, there's something I need to mention in closing is this, that God wants us to ask questions, and he does want to answer our questions. But there are certain conditions that we have to be aware of. The first one I want to mention is this. Sometimes, you and I, before we can receive an answer to our question, have to be prepared. And that preparation takes more than one form. In one sense, we might have to be informationally prepared. Very much like in maths, once you know addition, subtraction, you're not ready for advanced calculus. We have to go through algebra, etc. And for some of us, that still doesn't mean we're ready for calculus. But you understand, we can't jump from A to C. And with God, it's the same. Young Christians especially. You might not understand everything. You might ask questions. A wise teacher will tell you, put that one on hold for now. We will get there. You understand? So we have to know that. Sometimes we come across an issue in the Bible and we don't understand it. And we might try to understand it and ask God the answer and we might get the sense that there's something else we have to learn first. Now, this other thing that we have to learn first can also take the shape of our hearts need to be prepared. The Lord said to his disciples, there's a lot I want to teach you still, but I can't. Then he goes on to explain why. You're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. The obvious example that I can think of is This whole issue of premature death. Very often you stand by the bed and the child's passed away. And obviously the parents ask the question, why? Now, the answer is very easy to actually come by. However, very often people might not be ready to receive that answer. You see? The real answer to that question is not that God took her away. That would make him a killer, which he is not. The real answer is that the devil took the child. And furthermore, if we had known enough and been prepared enough, we could have prevented it. Now, you can't tell that to a grieving parent who knows nothing. The best thing you can tell a grieving parent is that the separation is temporary. And if that parent is right with God, there's no reason why they should not meet up with their precious child for eternity. That's normally the correct answer. But you see, it takes a bit of maturity and growth to realize, you know what, I didn't know enough then. The devil took advantage of my ignorance. And then the right response, the mature response is, I'm not going to let it happen again. Can you see that? we've got to realize that sometimes what God thinks is way above where we are at when it comes to receiving it. I battled in the first months of my Christianity to believe that God could forgive me my sin. Having sinful habits even after I was born again, obviously. You don't spend 21 years in the world and give it all up overnight. But I would find myself sinning in one way or another, and then I'd think, can God really forgive me? I had to grow. I had to realize and come to the understanding that God loves me despite my sin and that if I'm prepared to just to repent and keep going and eventually help me to overcome these things, you see, I needed to learn that. It took time, is what I'm saying. But the answer is there. God has got an answer. The answer is always, with God, the truth, what God thinks about it, you see. And we need to press on for that and expect him to prepare us to receive that answer. One final thought. There are occasions when God refuses to give us an answer. Kenneth Hagin shared one occasion where he had an open vision. And in this open vision, the Lord said to him, you can ask me a question. And As the Lord was going, he remembered a question that he wanted to ask him. In his ministry, there had been a case where he had prayed for somebody, he had felt the anointing flow, and yet that person had died. I think it was a member of the family, an uncle. Anyway, he asked the Lord, why did that person die? And he said the Lord turned to him, looked him straight in the face, and said to him, I think he pointed his finger at him and said, don't ever ask me that question again. I'm talking about an exceptional circumstance. We need to be balanced in this whole thing. God wants us to understand as much as we need to know for our lives. Amen. I there are occasions, and I've been involved in occasions where the Lord showed me what the reason was why something didn't happen, and I realized that I couldn't tell anybody that. The truth, in that sense, would have caused more damage to those who were left behind. The situation was better left as it is. Anyway, I hope you've been blessed by this. I hope it's provoked in your mind some thoughts. And remember, that's exactly what God wants. He wants us to inquire, to ask. I firmly believe, going back to the Garden of Eden, that if after the serpent had told Adam and Eve this whole story of his, they'd said, okay, hold on. The Lord's coming, we'll ask him. They understand. If they'd waited for the Lord and said, you know, the serpent said this. And remember, the serpent probably didn't look like a serpent then. Probably looked very glorious. They probably said, this wonderful being came and spoke to us. And he said, you see, I'm sure the Lord would have said to them, listen, there's a reason why I don't want you to eat that fruit. He would have explained it to them. And had he done that, they'd probably have said, well, that makes sense. We don't want it. When this creep comes around, we're not interested. We're not interested. We've got the truth. The same with us, you see. We face a situation and we want to operate as soon as possible on the impulse, you see. And ideas come to our mind and, oh, that's a good idea. And we get into a lot of trouble. Don't just ask the question. Ask the right person the question. Amen. Wait for him, Father God. What do you think about this? What do you think about this wonderful job opportunity that's come my way? What do you think about this wonderful home, this car, this whatever that's come my way? Ask the question. And expect him to give you the answer. But that answer might very well be a question. (laughs) I mean, praise God.